Are you ready for the big show? As ready as I'll ever be. Jim Newell covers Washington for Slate. Like all of us, he's been waiting to hear what the House of Representatives' January 6th Select Committee has been up to. Like all of us, he is set to find that out tonight when public hearings get started in prime time. Congresswoman, are you confident that what you have found as a committee will somehow grab the American people by the lapels and say, wake up, you have to pay attention? Uh, I am. You know, Committee members have not been subtle when setting expectations for this event. Representative Liz Cheney told CBS she thought the attack on the Capitol was the result of a well-organized conspiracy and that this committee was going to prove it. Uh, And so people must pay attention. People must watch and and they must understand how easily our democratic system uh, can, can unravel if we don't defend it. Representative Jamie Raskin, he hedged even less. We are going to have hearings that I believe will be compared to the Watergate hearings because they are going to blow the roof off the house in terms of explaining to America what actually happened in the attack on our democracy. They want you to go to viewing parties. They want you to watch it on national networks. They want you to get all your friends to watch it. Hold it, viewing parties? Yeah, there are viewing parties. There are apparently like dozens across the country that, you know, Democratic affiliate groups are setting up. There's one at, at, in D.C. outdoors. Really, there'll be a big screen and they're going to give out free ice cream. <laughs> it's a weird message. Like, your democracy is at risk. Have a popsicle. Yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, comfort food. The committee's even hired a TV news executive to produce these hearings, hoping a little razzle-dazzle will suck viewers in. Democrats, if they go too far in this direction where they talk about how they're trying to make a spectacle, they kind of make Republicans' response to it a little bit easier because Republicans can just say they're trying to put on a TV show that will scare you and they're overproducing it and bringing in, you know, Hollywood to come in and take take care of it. Yeah. I mean, Marco Rubio has already been on Twitter saying instead of focusing on $5 gas and illegal immigrants and fentanyl deaths or violent criminals... The Democrats are focusing on making a circus, essentially. Is that criticism fair? Yeah, I mean, it's not that they're not trying to address the other things, you know, with inflation and gas prices. It's just they they don't really have anything good to do about that. So as they're, as they're trying to turn things around ahead of the midterms, you know, try and salvage what's looking like a complete red wave, then they need to focus on where they do have something. Today on the show, a lot is riding on the hearings that kick off tonight. Will this committee be able to shift Americans' perspective about what happened on January 6th? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. For the last year or so, The January 6th committee has been quietly doing its work, very occasionally hinting at bombshells they've unearthed, like text messages from White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows or emails from Vice President Pence's office. Now it's time for the big reveal. Tonight's hearing will be the first of as many as eight this month. So tonight there's going to be opening statements (laughs) 
again, you know, they're trying to cut back on statements, but there will be some statements at least. Got to have a statement. You're still Congress. Got to have got to have a couple. Yeah. So there'll be um, Benny Thompson, who's the chairman of the committee, and uh, Liz Cheney, who is number two on the committee. She's an anti-Trump Republican. They'll both give statements kind of detailing what they've found so far uh, over the last nearly a year and where things are going to go ahead. And then I think for the meat of the of this hearing, they're going to talk about the the Proud Boys, which is one of the groups involved in the insurrection. Just accused of sedition. Yes, the leader of whom, uh, or one of the leaders at least, was just charged with seditious conspiracy. And they're going to focus on that because the Proud Boys were really the first to kind of breach this and turn this from a protest into a riot. And I think they're going to use photos and videos that they have available to try and show the minute where the Proud Boys pushed it into like a cops and knocked over a barrier and went in. And that they kind of have pinpointed that as the start of the riot. So they'll have that and they'll have a journalist, a video journalist as a, as a witness and a, a police officer as a witness. That's the general structure we know. They promised new footage and whether they'll release a snippet of tape. There was some murmuring about whether they released tape of, you know, their interviews with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, which, you know, if you're producing a if you're basically doing a trailer for something, which is what they're doing, then, you know, you want to show little teasers of what's to come. Yeah, I was going to say, I could use a trailer for this hearing Yeah, <laughs> to know what we're getting into here. Originally, the goal of the January 6th Congressional Committee was to be bipartisan, but that, of course, did not happen. There are only two Republicans on this committee, Adam Kinzinger from Illinois and Liz Cheney from Wyoming. Given all that, how much does Republican leadership know about what's about to happen here? I think they have an inkling, and I cannot say that they're wrong, that Whatever Democrats produce is not likely to change the big dynamic right now, which is that people are more concerned with things like inflation, perceptions of surging crime or what's going on at the border or just general kind of more in your face issues since January 6th than they are with, you know, what happened on January 6th. So they're just going to keep hammering their message against Biden. And they think they're pretty comfortable that that will carry them through. It's not like they're um, ignoring it. They do kind of have a little war room set up where they're briefing reporters on their responses and they have members ready to go on TV and give interviews afterwards, kind of deflecting from all this stuff. But I think they're just they're not happy about it, but they don't think it's really going to change what's going on right now. House GOP conference chair Elise Stefanik of New York says these hearings are actually a chance for Republicans to shine. She and her colleagues have already started pushing back on whatever this committee reveals. This committee is not about seeking the truth. It is a smear campaign against President Donald Trump, against Republican members of Congress, and against Trump voters across this country. I've heard a lot about how the Watergate hearings are basically a basis for what's about to happen over the next few weeks. But the Watergate hearings seem so different to me. I mean, there is the fact that the Watergate investigation was bipartisan, but also like the people, people weren't refusing to testify for the Watergate investigation. It it just seems like we're in a really different moment. And I wonder how much you think that applies as a kind of analog here. Well, yeah, I think it's very hard to do an investigation that's going to, you know, change a national consensus when you have kind of just one party really participating the other dismissing it as theater and a hoax so 
I mean, that's what you see with so many other things. Like, even if there are big facts developed, one party is kind of giving its voters permission to just say, you know, enough of all that. I mean, it's just kind of another symptom of it's harder to achieve consensus now than it would have been in, you know, in the 70s. The moment from the Watergate hearing that stood out to me when I was reading about it was the fact that John Dean, White House counsel, when he testified against Nixon, it was seen as a turning point. And his testimony was just him reading a 245-page statement. And I was just like, that that would never happen today. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be allowed to read more than 10 pages at this hearing. Yeah, I think they have the material they need. You know, they're not still really in the in the major collection phase. And this is kind of just to to snap the public back to attention that this is going on and to, to prepare for the final report. Watching the Trump impeachment hearings and the first one, it felt like people were reading 245 page statements. But but yeah, I mean, this is you know, that was a whole longer process here. They did the process mostly behind closed doors and now they're they're ready to to get to the end game. They've edited it, basically, or that's the hope. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that, like, you you know, you're mentioning with Watergate, people didn't refuse to testify or whatever. I'm actually surprised at how many people did testify ultimately before this committee. I thought basically every Republican would just say, no, I'm not participating. And, you know, I don't care what the Justice Department does or anything like it'll all get thrown out down the road. But I mean, to have Jared and Ivanka and a lot of senior staff in the White House participate, some of whom may down the line in these hearings end up being witnesses. You know, there've been a couple like Mark Meadows who have refused and and now they have contempt of court indictments. But I think overall, they've really gotten to a lot of people with this. After the break, what can these hearings actually accomplish? Stick around. Here's a question that seems really basic, but I think it isn't actually, which is what is the goal of these hearings? And are there multiple goals, political and legislative and criminal and all the rest? And I ask that because I think a lot of Americans have a sense of how they understand January 6th. And so when you're adding new information, trying to make it urgent, I feel like having a goal is really important. So for this committee, have they settled on that yet? I think there are a couple of kind of discrete goals about what the committee is trying to fill into the January 6th picture that wasn't there before. For example, I think they really want to know what Donald Trump was doing on a kind of minute by minute basis during that those couple hours where he was refusing to say anything to the protesters, telling them to go home. That was kind of a a cloud. You had people giving comments, you know, and you had some text messages. But I think they really want to see if Trump was you know, almost complicit in not doing anything to stop this, if not actively encouraging it as it was going on. So they're trying to figure that out. And they also, I think, would like to get a bigger picture of between the election and January 6th, what another timeline of everything Trump tried to do to overturn the election and to make the case that it was a, you know, straightforward effort to overturn the election. Well, and what you're laying out there is really building a case to potentially file criminal charges against Trump. How many of the members of the committee 
are on board with that and want to do it. Do we know? I don't think we really know. I don't think they're saying it. Um, I think that's something that they would want to save for a conclusion. It, it does seem like something that everyone is open to. You know, there are some, there's been some talk about, you know, they're split on the policy recommendations they might make at the end. Like maybe some of the more liberal Democrats want to propose getting rid of the Electoral College. Yeah, these are legislative goals. And you're right, there's already reporting that like the committee members are sort of debating what to do in that regard. Yeah. And I think there's going to be more of a split just just because it's legislative policy between Liz Cheney, who is still a conservative Republican, and Jamie Raskin, who's a liberal Democrat. But in terms of whether it's going to make a criminal referral against Donald Trump, like, I I think Liz Cheney is pretty open to that. It's just a question of, you know, they have to decide if if they really have enough to to make that stick. And the Department of Justice has to decide if they're going to take it up. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, then making a criminal referral is, you know, the same as asking the Justice Department politely to take it up, which they may or may not. But I think that's a little bit of a of a mystery that we're going to we're going to have to see at the end of this process. In terms of legislative goals, you you sort of alluded to the fact that some members of this committee, like Jamie Raskin, who's a real leader here, congressman from Maryland, he wants to swing big. He wants to talk about, for instance, abolishing the Electoral College. And what's interesting to me about that is if you think about that in the context of these hearings, I don't know how you build a case for something like abolishing the Electoral College in this hearing setting where the focus is on like razzle dazzle and what happened on the day itself of January 6th and who was hurt and the Proud Boys. Making the case against the Electoral College is just a different kind of case. It's it's wonkier. So do you think these hearings will be able to do what someone like Jamie Raskin wants in that regard? I just don't think there'll be enough consensus on the committee to actually try to make that case in a concerted way during these hearings. I think, may, you know, maybe Jamie Raskin or um, some other Democrat will kind of toss that out there in the middle. Um, but I, I do think there's actually a pretty straightforward case we made that, you know, if we didn't have the Electoral College where we're putting way too much free will in all of these corruptible state leaders' hands to to overturn something. You know, I, I think you can make that case, whether it's a good use of their time, since it's never going to happen, is another question. But I, I don't know if that's something they'll get into in the hearings. Maybe among themselves on the committee, they can reach another a compromise like reforming the Electoral Count Act, which has bipartisan support in Congress. What would that do? In the Senate, there was kind of a working group to kind of see what changes they could make. But it would basically take a little bit more discretion out of the actor's hands. Like it would clarify specifically, for example, that the vice president has no power to overturn states' electors or send them back, you know, to their state capital. Um, as Trump was telling Mike Pence that he had some ability to fiddle around with that. It's not something bigger like getting rid of the Electoral College entirely. One goal that does not involve the stickiness of crafting legislation or referring criminal charges is the political goal here. And you've said that the Democrats are really open about the fact that they see these hearings as a way to make their case to voters who, of course, have a midterm election coming up, that the Republican Party is involved in dangerous work, dangerous to our democracy. I'm sort of curious, 
Do you think the timing of these hearings is right to actually influence things all the way in November? Well, I think the timing is born out of necessity in a way because they want to have some hearings to kind of make hay out of this. And, you know, they'll need a little more time afterwards to finalize the report and everything, but they have to do that by the end of the year because Republicans are probably going to take over Congress or at least the House. So, you know, I, I think it's on the calendar where it is just because that's where it is. And I think Democrats could use something that takes over the news cycle for a little bit. Yeah. As you watch, what are you going to be looking for? Having been to so many hearings like this just in the past few years, like I wonder if you're watching for certain course corrections or ways that things are running more smoothly now. I want to see if they live up to the hype, basically. They've taken on some risk by saying, like, these hearings are going to be like no hearings you've ever seen. It's going to be explosive and we have a TV executive doing it and there's going to be new footage and they're really kind of uh, hyping it here. So I, I want to see if that's true. Is there really something that, that we haven't seen that just changes your view of it entirely, you know, that makes you think it was even more grave than what we already know? Can you lay out what a good or bad outcome after these hearings take place would be for Democrats versus Republicans? Because it seems like they have different theories here. Like the Democrats think if we just hammer the January 6th stuff and we have this national platform, that might help us out. The Republicans seem to be betting on kitchen table issues. Yeah, I don't think that they have different theories. I think Democrats basically agree with Republicans that this is uphill for them, that, you know, the voters are more concerned with, you know, what's going on in their daily lives, very understandably, than they are with this incident that happened almost two years ago, even if it's a, a really uh, worrying sign for the future of democracy, but people are just going to still vote on, you know, whether they can pay the bills or buy food or everything. So I think Democrats know that, but they have to use everything they have to at least try to blunt that. They have to be like, these are the people just in power a couple of years ago who tried to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power. Think twice about putting them back into power this fall. I think that's basically what Democrats are just trying to get out there. And I don't think that's going to flip the narrative on the midterms. I think it's pretty baked in at this point. But maybe it could blunt some Republican gains in the fall. Jim Newell, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Jim Newell is a senior politics writer for Slate. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We're getting a ton of support right now from Sam Kim, We are led by Joanne Levine and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll be back in this feed on Monday. I'm handing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and What Next TBD. Catch you after the weekend.